Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Certainly appreciate being included as a part of your day. And we're going to talk through some things that are moving the ag markets. A little red on the screen today in corn and soybeans. Wheat's got a bounce. We're going to talk with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk about that here in just a moment. Before segment two, we're going to check in with Josh Bakey, policy editor over at Farm Progress. He's been keeping up to speed on the SNAP negotiations developing over the last week in Capitol Hill. And then in segment three, we're going to check in with Sigrid Johans. She's the director of the Public Lands Association. And we've seen a lot of new national monuments formed here by this administration over the recent year. Sig's going to give us an update on what to expect from this admin as she looks out over the summer. Before we get into all of that, however, let's zero in on what's moving these grain markets. Joining us now, Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. And Garrett, let's talk first and foremost about the wheat market. It's kind of the only green on the screen here in the grains. What was the headline in wheat? Yes. Well, I mean, obviously it was yesterday's crop progress report and showing uh, we've got the lowest winter wheat uh, conditions uh, nationally since 1989. Um, on a week-to-week basis, uh, I mean, uh, hard red wheat has been gaining on on, on Chicago's uh, soft red wheat uh, all year. You know, we just traded uh, the, the premium in the July contract uh, of Kansas City over Chicago uh, to the highest levels that uh, we've ever had. We actually took out the 2011 highs here this week. So uh, the premium, the hard red wheat, you know, the Chicago wheat's obviously tied to uh, the cheapness of the Russian market. But this is all weather. This is all uh, conditions. Um, in fact, you know, for the most part, you know, soft red wheat conditions in the east improved last week. Um, we had further declines in Kansas and Oklahoma this past week in the hard red wheat crop. But at the same time, this weather forecast that's potentially impacting the row crops here and turning things a little bit negative, I mean, um, you know, it, it looks like temperature is going to warm up, and that's what the market views as what the doctor needs as far as, you know, potentially starting to get in the field. It looks like we're going to start the, 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 the melt of the northern plains this weekend. But when you've got heat uh, coming, it's going to probably compound the issues uh, in these southern plains. So that's why KC is leading Chicago here today, uh, and that's what's supporting the market. We're also seeing spring wheat move a couple pennies higher, no doubt, along with the other contracts there, Garrett. But as we look out, that Red River Valley continues to be plagued with snow. More on the way. Is spring going to have to rally to pull in more acres? Um, well, it, it, it may, or it's, it's just going to have to price in the the anticipated loss acres. I mean, there's it can rally all it's all it wants, but uh, you know, if, if physically we can't get them planted, we can't get it planted. You know, um, so you know you should see um, you know the premium for the higher classes wheat gain. You know, even though the premium to Kansas City is already fairly strong, uh, we should see the the premium for for hardwood spring. Uh, to to rally as well. So yeah, it's weather. I mean, you know, they're getting a blizzard uh, as we speak over the next 24 hours up in North Dakota. 
uh, northwest Minnesota. Um, but then temperature is supposed to warm up this weekend, and uh, you know one of the meteorologists I follow, um, you know, said that once this you know, it's, it's once the snow melt begins, um, it's the equivalent of six to seven uh, six to seven inches of rain, you know, and that's got to go that's that's got to go somewhere. Um, I, you know, talking to your producer, I mean, you know, they're they're happy that the snow is going away, but. Uh, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be a, a compact period of of heavy moisture, and then that's got to lead to some flooding. You have to imagine. Yeah, you think a couple thunderstorms roll across the northern plains, so that snow's melting and it could get muddy real quick. Garrett, I want to turn our focus over to the soybean market because we're we're seeing a down day across both corn and soybeans, but we're really seeing new crop November take a hit here on the soybean front. Is the market just getting comfortable with this massive crop out of Brazil? Um, you know, it's kind of, I'm at a crossroads. I mean, in, in theory, we're, we're, uh, uh, we had a bullish stocks report on Friday, but uh, again, the big picture is if, um, if we have issues in the northern plains and flooding or any sort of planting delays, those in theory should mean more new crop bean acres. So, you know, we've been telling people that the, you know, the bean rally probably should be sold. Um, but that being said, is on the other hand, is the Brazilian bean crop is it's 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 an old story. I mean, harvest is is nearing 80% complete. You know, if we have a typical post-harvest seasonal rally like we do any other market, um, we're we're kind of past that point. So, you know, that's part of the reason I think we we've, we've seen this rally here, and that's kind of hard to judge because we're we're seeing a. a for lack of a better term, reinflation trade here from beans because the market's concerns about this bank failure, banking crisis is over, absolutely over. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and, and harvest in South America is behind us. <clears throat> I think no crop beans are, are really being pressured because of anticipation that we could see more acres because even though the markets are lower here, the market's torn. I mean, these spreads are firming up. Uh, because you know the old crop situation remains tight, uh, and and it's a, the, and people are more than willing to sell new, you know Novi beans here uh, because of you know if we do have issues then we're going to in theory pick up more bean acres. Yeah, that makes sense, especially as that as that snow makes its exit eventually. Garrett, on the corn front, we're seeing that Brazilian corn crop go in the ground. Old crop, or excuse me, new crop corn holding up reasonably well today. What are you watching here in the corn market in the near term? Well, it's it's kind of twofold here. I mean, t I think a lot of it's technical in nature. We had, uh, you know, I'm watching crude um, as far as the corn market is concerned. We had the big surprise OPEC plus cut of a million barrel per day production over the weekend, and that sent crude higher. Uh, and crude is trying to break out of the $70, $80 range that we've been in for the last four or five months. So crude's up to 81.80. If we can get crude above uh um, you know, towards $100, like some people are talking, that's bullish corn. But at the same time, um, it's also, you know, given the economy, how bullish gasoline demand is that. But I think the biggest issue impacting corn today is, you know, we had the spike over the weekend, which is crude led. We, we traded up to 668 and three quarters, tried to get through, maybe ran stops above the 200 day moving average. But this 200-day moving average is right here at 658 and three quarters. Our high of the day is 657 and a half. I think that the the sellers are just defending that 200-day moving average. Which, and, and to be to, to to clarify, this is the first time we've been 
anywhere close to that 200-day moving average since the end of February. So, um, you know, I think we're just seeing some profit taking at these levels uh, in this 200-day moving. We just, just don't have the oomph to get through that 200-day moving average at this point. All right, we'll have to watch for some new narratives to develop some new piece of news to really push that market over the finish line there, that 200-day moving average. Folks, we have been talking this morning with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. And Garrett, thanks as always for joining us here on AOA. Yep, thank you. And folks, stay with us. Josh Bakey, policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest-priced fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. 
Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. We're going to turn our focus now to Washington, D.C. We've had the farm bill under discussion as they write to, or hopefully write a new one to replace the 2018 farm bill, which expires in September. And, well, for the first couple of meetings, tempers were fairly calm. It seemed as though everybody was getting along. But now we're starting to see some fault lines develop in these conversations as we look for more ag funding. Joining us now for an update is Josh Baitke. He serves as the policy editor for Farm Progress. And Josh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Nice to be here. I want to pick your brain a little bit, Josh, because last week I understand you had the chance to listen in on uh, Secretary Vilsack's address to the uh, the House Ag Committee. And it sounds like things got a little testy, didn't they? Yeah, you could say that. Um, you know, you got to remember, you know, the Farm Bill is is one of the few opportunities to where a lot of these legislatures will actually get to pass meaningful, uh, meaning meaningful bills. Because you know, at some point, we don't know when there's going to be a Farm Bill. So right now, you know, everyone is posturing, trying to make their positions known, trying to state their case. And uh, you know, so Secretary Vilsack was testifying before the uh, House Agriculture Committee last week, and uh, the major issue uh, that kept coming up repeatedly was uh, nutrition, SNAP benefits. You know, I. Think I think, uh, depending on the estimate, uh, that accounts for 80% of all uh, funding, you know, in the farm bill, even though it's only one of the 12 titles. And, uh, you know, the Republicans have, you know, stated repeatedly their desire to, you know, cut spending. Uh, they feel that the nutrition program spending is out of control. And uh, they, they hammered the secretary about that uh, multiple times, to, to say the least. Yeah. And as I was reading about that, it sounds as though a number of this was sort of sort of started by a bill from Representative Dusty Johnson of South Dakota. And they're, they're looking to put some tighter eligibility requirements on SNAP. Josh, is that what's kind of driving this? Correct. Uh, that his his bill uh, the past would basically put some more stringent uh, work requirements on SNAP SNAP recipients. Uh, I believe it's a uh, three months. It also would limit uh, states' ability to find loopholes around these, so they would have less leeway in that. So you know, it's, it seems like it, it honestly affects a small uh, small number of people. Uh, but you know, it's it's kind of the beginning of the battle lines being drawn. So you know, Democrats uh, at the hearing you know called it an attack on the poor. Uh, you know, where where you know Johnson contends. Yeah, these are these are work requirements that we've uh, put in there before. Uh, Democrats pointed to some studies showing that uh, in the past these requirements have had no effect on you know uh, on improving their such people recipients situation or on, uh, on on their ability to get jobs. You know, Republicans have had their counter studies. You know, it's just a back and forth. And then, uh, then you throw in immigration on this debate. You know, I think a, a lot of the debate uh, kind of argued about uh, the number of illegal immigrants receiving SNAP benefits. Now, uh, you know, you hear Secretary Vilsack say it that you know that number is very, very small and should be zero. But admit, you know, some people may get through. But uh, you know, the definition of illegal, there, there was some debate on that because you know, obviously, children who are born in the country are citizens and are eligible for SNAP, even to the parents, you know, regardless of their status. And then also, those seeking legal asylum are technically legal and also eligible. So there was a lot of back and forth on that, you know, and you know, immigration is always a contentious issue. 
It is. I was surprised to see that come up, and I, I was surprised to see it occupy such a portion of the time, Josh. But as you mentioned, that's what these hearings are for. Get these ideas out. They're up for discussion as the farm bill moves forward. And as you look out over the next couple of weeks, are there more opportunities for legislators and Secretary Vilsack to, to testify to one another? Are they going to have more interactions? You know, I don't know about uh, the secretary's schedule specifically. Uh, I, I'm assuming this is not the last we've seen of him in front of the committee. Um, but right now, uh, Congress is on recess for a couple of weeks. But after that, I expect the hearings to continue. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, the secretary has been traveling all around trying to make his case for uh, the Biden administration's agenda and some of the programs they have that they think, you know, will, will help the agriculture community. Absolutely. And so it's those agendas in D.C. As you mentioned, we're starting to see compete. The Biden administration has an agenda. Of course, Republicans in Congress have a different agenda. And Josh, we saw our House Republicans make a pretty big passage on Friday. They passed a huge energy bill. Can you give us some of the details? How big are we talking on this piece of legislation? Well, uh, we're, we're talking about the Lower Energy Costs Act, I assume, the House passed. Um, yes, last yeah. late last week. Yes, yes. So, so basically, uh, you know, th this is where Republicans have have you know see Biden at his weakest. You know, obviously, inflation has consistently been number one concern in, of of the public in various polls. And what this bill aims to do is is to uh, allow more drilling for oil and natural gas on federal lands. It would take away the president's power to uh, to ban fracking on those lands and to delay that. It would also uh, uh, streamline some of the environmental review requirements and uh you know basically this republicans see this as a as a winning issue i think the last uh, poll i saw uh, uh the biden's approval on energy on his energy policy stands at 38 percent so uh, this bill stands no chance of passing in the senate i mean uh, uh chuck schumer already said it's a dead on arrival presidents are also vowed to veto it but it really gives Rep republicans an opportunity to to state their energy policies and uh, contrast it with what seems to be unpopular policies from the biden administration um you know so as far as, far as the impact on agriculture i think you know uh uh, uh representative gt thompson you know he who voted in favor of the bill obviously he he said you know this is going to help uh producers farmers and ranchers you know lower costs and you know also um reduce dependence on on uh, foreign energy. Now, the Democrats would contend that, uh, you know, increasing oil and gas production will uh, will lessen the the uh, the advantages for producers to pursue clean energy uh, options, which is kind of one of one of uh, Secretary Vilsack's missions has been trying to uh, he, he's constantly preaching about uh, having farmers and ranchers uh, increase their revenue streams by pursuing uh, clean renewable energy projects on their land. And obviously, if there's more uh, more carbon out there, then there's less of a market demand for those products. So again, this bill is going nowhere, but it does. Uh, it, it is an example of, of the two parties uh, basically just making their positions known. And uh, we'll see where that goes. Absolutely. Kind of fleshing things out a little bit. And Josh, even though this bill as a whole won't move forward, as you mentioned, the Senate's not going to touch it. I'm guessing a lot of the ideas in this bill we could see pop up from other House initiatives here as the year goes on. 
Oh, absolutely. And and, and the policy, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, the party has already stated that that this is one of their major priorities leading up to the 2024 election. So we definitely haven't seen the last of uh, these ideas. All right, Josh, I want to bring the focus back to agriculture, more specifically agricultural exports to our neighbor to the south in Mexico. We've been trying to ensure that GMO yellow corn can continue moving south of the border here uh, January 1st of 2024. I understand we're making some progress here on that policy. Where do we sit with that Mexican corn issue? Well, we have a deadline coming up April 7th. Uh, last month, uh, the U.S. Uh, formally init initiated formal talks with the Mexican counterparts on this. And uh, basically, that's a formality. They have 30 days. And if assuming nothing is uh, resolved, then uh, the United States is expected to formally file a complaint under the uh, United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. Uh, that would create a uh, dispute resolution panel that would then uh, hear both sides and make a decision. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. All right. More slow movement, but at least it's movement in Washington, D.C. on that issue as January 1st gets closer and closer. Now, Josh, I want to turn our focus back to Capitol Hill, back to Congress. We saw an important vote by the House and Senate yesterday or excuse me, last week. They voted on a rule to or excuse me. A, a, well, walk me through what they voted on. Basically, they said we don't like President Biden's WOTUS rule. What they call that? Right. It's 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 uh, there's a. It's a con Congressional Review Act. So basically, Congress has the power to overturn an executive order by the president if both both houses, uh, both both houses of Congress uh, vote to overrule it, then it goes to the president's desk. So what's happened here? And when we've had Democrats join Republicans on, on both sides, the House voted, I believe, on March 9th. The Senate voted for their version last week. And it basically says that the, the Biden uh, Woodis rule that was issued at the, in the last year would be repealed. Um, again, it, it, the president hasn't commented on it yet, but it appears it has no chance of, of being signed. And uh, it, it seems extremely unlikely that the Senate would have the votes to overturn that. Um, but again, it's one of the it's posturing. Uh, this is this bill has, or this rule has been very unpopular in the agriculture community. And I think, you know, those voting in favor don't really think it's going to pass, but they want to make their positions known so they can, you know, go back to that down the road when it's election time. Absolutely. And of course, in the background of all of these waters of the U.S. discussion is that pending Supreme Court case Sackett versus the EPA. Josh, have we gotten a verdict from the Supreme Courts yet? We have not. The last I've uh, I've been hearing lately is expect that late spring, early summer. And now we have had some other. You know, there's there's several lawsuits at the state level against this. And I believe two or three weeks ago, a a judge uh, heard a case presented from. Uh, Iowa and Texas, along with representatives from a bunch of producers organizations, uh, they were hoping that the judge would would overturn the rule nationwide. Uh, he, he, he said that the uh, the organizations, including the American Farm Bureau Federation and others, didn't have the standing to do that. But he did over he did uh, overturn the rule in Texas and Idaho. And I know there's similar cases in other states. So we'll see if this uh, gets picked apart piecemeal uh, before we get the second ruling. All right. We'll be watching lots more legal decisions to come in agriculture. Folks, we've been talking with Josh Bakey, policy editor at Farm Progress. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. And stay with us. Oh, Secret Johans of the Public Lands Council will join us when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities.
Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Arisvet with this market update. USDA reports that just 28% of the U.S. winter wheat crop is rated good to excellent as of Sunday, which is the lowest reading of the past four decades. The crop's condition index score that considers all five condition categories is just 279 this week, which ties last year's crop for the second lowest on record. USDA's conditions ratings go back to 1987. The poor winter wheat ratings are focused primarily on the Plains states, with the wheat state of Kansas having the lowest condition score of just 230. That's down from 295 a year ago. The low ratings supported wheat prices overnight, especially with yet another major winter storm expected to add to the deep snowpack in the Northern Plains spring wheat belt over the next couple of days. Increased geopolitical risk with China led to profit taking in corn and soybean prices overnight, but the low wheat ratings combined with planting problems in the Northern Plains focused the trade on tightening global wheat supplies, providing support for the food grain. Now in China, just 1% of the corn planted will contain genetically modified traits this year, according to anonymous industry experts who spoke on the sideline of a recent conference in China. This is a big disappointment to authorities who cleared GMO corn for mass planting this year amid hopes that China would be planting 90% of its acreage GMO corn within five years. Trend yields in China are just over 100 bushels per acre, which is far below the 181.5 bushels per acre forecast by USDA for the U.S. crop this year. China advanced GMO technology this year in hopes of changing that and thereby dramatically reducing its dependency on importing critical food commodities. The focus, however, this week will be on jobs. We'll get the JOLTS job posting report later today, which is expected to show 10.4 million job openings at the end of February. That was essentially the expectation a month ago as well, but the trade was surprised to see 10.82 million job openings, suggesting that the job market remains quite tight. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for joining us today. And we're talking about we're talking about moves in Washington, D.C. Last week was a very busy week on Capitol Hill and at the regulatory agencies in D.C. We've talked about several of the announcements so far, but there was another big one that came out on Thursday from the Bureau of Land Management. It's a sweeping new proposed rule that would change how the agency manages its public ground. Joining us for an update on that and several other regulatory issues confronting livestock producers is Sigrid Johans. She serves as the director of the Public Lands Council. And Sigrid, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let's talk about this proposed rule change at the BLM. Sigrid, for folks who don't work with the BLM in the first place, what are the rules as they stand today? Sure thing. So the Bureau of Land Management uh, administers grazing permits for folks grazing cattle and sheep on millions of acres across the West. And the grazing rule that they currently operate under, the set of regulations that sort of govern the day-to-day business of, of livestock production on those lands, has been in place since 1995. It's high. It's very overdue for an update. And that's one regulatory process that we're going through this year to update that big set of regulations. Things like, you know, when do you have the flexibility to come on and off those allotments? What can you do, you know, in terms of targeted grazing projects, rebuilding infrastructure after a fire, things like that. But, you know, what's very interesting is that's one giant rule that we've been working on all year. And we've been participating where we can in the regulatory process to give input there and submit comments. But this other rule that came out last week also has to do with public lands management and is a completely separate rule, I think, took a lot of folks by by surprise, frankly, because uh, this is completely unrelated to the grazing rule process. Process, but it's still going to have quite the impact on, on livestock producers. So, Sigrid, if I understand you correctly, BLM proposed this massive new rule with, with at least no consultation with, with you guys? That is correct. Uh, one of the items that is most kind of alarming and concerning, frankly, about this rule, in addition to sub- some of the substance in it, is the process that kind of brought it to brought it to bear. Uh, you know, it's not just grazers for the record. It's also all of the other multiple use land users that enjoy public lands across uh, across the West, folks in renewable energy production, folks in multiple uses like recreation, things like that. Nobody, including grazers, got to give input on what this was going to look like before it was rolled out. This was developed entirely in-house at the BLM. And, you know, anybody who's worked with the federal government can tell you when they go into a black box and kind of get in, get into the, uh, the tangles of bureaucracy there and don't take outside input, you're not going to end up with the best result. And that's what has happened here. So they've issued this massive new proposal. And Sigurd, what stands out to me is that this rule would apply to, as I understand it, every acre that BLM manages. How would that change the way folks work with public lands? It's a great question, Mike. I think there's three main things in here that would impact, you know, how folks are interacting with this land, particularly grazing permittees. The first one is one that honestly we're we're less concerned about because I think it's a little bit of a leveling of the playing field. There are standards called land health standards that all grazing permittees are held to, uh, and they're the only ones actually who are held to that standard. Some of the other uses I mentioned, like energy and recreation, uh, are not held to the same standard. So when you come across damage or you come across surface disturbance on on, on a parcel of BLM land, it's resulted in a lot of grazers being scapegoated for damage that might have arisen from other uses. So uh, sort of applying those land health standards to all users is something we're, we're pretty pleased to see and we appreciate the agency's consideration there. But there are some other really problematic things here like elevating conservation to a you know quote unquote use or, or designated use 
under FLIPMA, which is the governing kind of act uh, in statute here that the BLM abides by, or one of several, uh, but it's what we call the Organic Act for the Bureau of Land Management. And some of the reasons that we find that concerning is that when you put conservation on, you know, so-called equal footing, that all sounds great, but what it leads to is a system that incentivizes getting everybody else off the land. Ranchers and permittees already do a huge amount of conservation work on their allotments, uh, you know, creating an incentive for other groups, NGOs, anti-grazing groups, anti-agriculture groups to kind of come in and take one of these so-called conservation leases is going to lead over time to all of this slow pressure to remove more grazers from the land and to take more ranchers out of business in the West. And that's something that's just completely unacceptable to us. Sig, from a practical standpoint, the idea of conservation allotments rather than grazing allotments, what sort of work is going to be required of a conservation allotment permit holder when they're not running livestock on it? I mean, how are they going to manage it? That's a fantastic question, Mike, and I think it's one that the agency has not fleshed out fully in this rule at all. That's one of the areas we'll be focusing on in our comments. Uh, the comment period on this proposed rule is open through about mid-June, uh, but that's something that we're going to be zeroing in on. You know, targeted grazing, uh, wildfire reduction, conserving prime habitat for wildlife and preserving wildlife corridors, migration corridors across the West. Those are all activities that ranchers are doing today. What, what does that look like if not conservation? I mean, that is conservation work. So I think when you look at these conservation leases, it's important to keep in mind, and we want the agency to acknowledge, doing nothing is not the same as having a positive impact on the land. You have to actively manage these landscapes to get the best outcomes. Doing nothing is not by itself a positive impact on these lands. That's right. Conservation requires effort. Sig, so glad you made that point. Now, you mentioned the comment period goes until mid-June. We've got 75 days to comment on this rule. What is PLC asking folks to comment when they when they have the opportunity to, to make that comment to the, uh, the BLM? Sure thing. So I think, you know, pointing out that ranching does a lot of valuable conservation is certainly one part of that. But I think the other part is reminding the agency and holding them accountable that they have an obligation here to uphold multiple use. You know, we I hear I say it all the time on your show. I say it all the time everywhere. Multiple use, multiple use. But that is a that is a mandated uh, mission for this agency. It's not just something we pulled out of thin air. The BLM has a legal obligation to uphold multiple use on the lands within their purview. And that means that, you know, this kind of slow erosion of grazing and this slow kind of downgrading of grazing's importance on the land over time runs contrary to their mission. We would really like to get a lot of support and we expect that we will be getting a lot of support from our, our partners and our affiliates across the West to really deliver that message that they have a responsibility here to make sure that they're not creating systems that are going to long-term kick more grazers off the land. That is a great point because these long-term systems do have ramifications. Sig, one of those long-term impacts is the Endangered Species Act. We saw some announcements at the tail end of 2022 about the lesser prairie chicken. I believe it's official, correct? It is on the ESA now in several states. It's official. It's gone into uh, it's gone into effect. That listing went into effect uh, kind of late last month in March. And you're absolutely right. That that listing has taken effect for five states now: Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, Colorado, and New Mexico. And uh, also in the Lesser Prairie Chicken news, uh, PLC and NCBA have moved forward 
uh, with our uh, suit uh, to, to sue to overturn that listing in the Western District of Texas. So that's something that NCBA, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and several of our state affiliates uh, and some of our partners in other, again, multiple uses, using that term again, uh, have gone to court to overturn that listing because we have some, some major substantive issues with it. But also, frankly, what's working is voluntary conservation on the ground right now. We've seen a lot of encouraging results from folks who have taken it upon themselves to enter these voluntary agreements uh, with NRCS and with other government agencies to conserve lesser prairie chicken habitat and to help boost the numbers of that bird. So we think this listing is unnecessary. We think it's going to do more harm than good, and we're going to court to, uh, to overturn it. See, what's the timeline look like on that court case PLC is a part of? So that was filed again in late March, just in the last week of the of the last month here. So we don't have a timeline yet on when we're going to have our arguments in that case. Uh, but we're optimistic that this is going to move forward pretty quickly. And this is a case actually that has been tried in this court before in 2015. And we had some success there. So I think we're uh, we're looking forward to some efficient progress. No firm dates yet, but stay tuned for updates. All right, Sieg, I want to turn the focus to something different, still on the Western lands front, and this is the administration's creation of national monuments. Now, I'm far more plugged into it under this administration than I have been in the past, but it seems as though we're we're taking a lot of ground and we're setting it aside into national monuments. What is what is PLC noted with this administration? Yeah, it, you know, I think that's a good question, Mike. There's certainly always under each new president a, a new kind of uh, scrutiny or, or attention on which landscapes get designated as national monuments. That is a power that lies with the president. Um, so each new administration kind of takes their own spin at it or takes a new swing at it. The most recent ones that we've seen from the Biden administration were uh, Avi Kwame in Nevada and the Kastner Range in Texas. And I think every time we see one of these designations come out, PLC's first question is, what is going to be the impact on grazing lands? Are there any permittees in the area who are losing, you know, losing access? Access to those allotments because of a new designation or an expanded designation, um, and it, what kind of impact is that going to have on ranchers in the area? You know, there there are some cases like Bears Ears where Public Lands Council has been very you know, publicly involved in that because there was a huge impact on grazers. I think, kind of interestingly enough, these are two ones where there's a little bit less of an impact on grazers. We're not going to see a whole lot of folks losing access or to forage or losing AUMs uh, due to that expansion in Nevada or due to the one in Texas. So I think it's a good example frankly, of the fact that, you know, we take these on a case-by-case -case basis and we stay firmly focused on the mission. If it's not going to impact grazers, that's not an issue that that we tend to get very involved in. But if it is going to impact grazers, you're going to hear about it from us. Uh, these two most recent ones in Nevada and Texas, not hugely concerning for, for too many of our permittees, but this is something that we certainly keep an eye on from this administration. All right, Sieg, before we let you go, PLC involved in some of the legal challenges to WOTUS. Can you give us an update on the court battles? Yes, absolutely. So we had some big WOTUS news in D.C. actually last week. Uh, the Senate passed the uh, resolution that had previously passed the House uh, condemning the new WOTUS definition under the CRA, the Congressional Review Act. Basically what that means is Congress is sending a very strong message to the White House and to the Supreme Court that's still deliberating on the Sackett case that they do not approve of this definition. That helps us. That adds a lot of credibility and, and you know weight to our case. But we're still plowing ahead in with our case in Texas to try and get a preliminary injunction on this rule. All right. Well, fingers crossed, folks. That's Secret Johans from the Public Lands Council. Stay tuned for more AOA next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This is the fourth installment in a six-week series. Nelson Neal with CHS Global Research describes another trend shaping the future of agriculture. Today, we're talking about supply shifts. Nelson, we have seen a significant increase in crop input costs. What's prompting these changes? I think it goes back to a lot of the inflationary pressures that everybody is talking about and some of those supply chain challenges. Inflation doesn't stop in the grocery aisle and at the gas pump alone. It certainly has wide-ranging impacts and ramifications, even on the cost of inputs to the acre within agriculture. Consider the more recent price run-up in fertilizer. We had a lot going on there. We had both Russia and China being large global providers of fertilizer. And then we have the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which at least put some of that fertilizer production or marketing at risk. We had Europe back off of their fertilizer production as a result of that conflict. Uh, and of course, trying to save on natural gas and heating for the winter. And then we turn our attention to China, where they had still pandemic lockdowns in place, which curtailed perhaps some of the production coming out of China. This concept of price volatility inflation is going to be with us for a while. Nelson, how can crop producers manage the risk related to those increased costs? First, you need to focus on supply and availability. Number one, work with your retailer and make sure that you have assured supply, whether it's urea or other types of crop inputs that you may need. And the second is focus on managing your margin. If you look at prices today for inputs, whether it's seed or crop protection or fertilizer or diesel fuel, and you look at what you can achieve via basis and the futures price for your corner soybean or wheat crop or whatever it may be, and there's an opportunity and it pencils out, take it. That's Nelson Neal, head of CHS Global Research. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for tuning in to us today. Appreciate you making us a part of your day. Before we wrap up, I did want to provide an update here. You know, we talk every week with John Baranek of DTN Weather, and he is on alert for the severe weather systems moving through the country Tuesday and Wednesday. On Tuesday, we're seeing the blizzard get underway in the northern Great Plains. It is going to build and continue across the northern Great Plains, far eastern Canadian prairies through Tuesday and on into Wednesday. We are talking heavy amounts of snow, 30 inches potentially in some parts of the Dakotas. Certainly 12 to 24 will be in the cards for a very large segment of that listening area. A quick warm-up, he notes, is expected next week. By the time we get to Saturday and Sunday, temps could be as close to the 60s as that snowpack ground will allow. So do get nervous. Do be prepared for flooding up there in the northern Great Plains. I did just get an update. The Cannon River in Minnesota is heading into flood territory here over the next 48 hours. So we are going to see this precipitation making its way down. Then, folks, the blizzard is just one challenge over the next couple of days. That same blizzard system that's moving through the north is then going to push through and bring that frontal boundary with severe storms and strong winds. If you're listening in Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, parts of Iowa, Iowa, really anywhere across the bulk of the Southern Plains, it's pretty likely that you are in a red flag warning today as those winds coming off the mountains are due to accelerate. Now, snow is not going to be much of a threat with these pop-up thunderstorms that come, but this could be, he mentioned, a bigger outbreak of severe weather than we saw just two or three days ago back on Friday when those severe thorm storms and those tornadoes broke out across the south and mid-states parts of this country. Do keep your eye in the sky. Do have several different ways to receive weather information. If you are from Iowa into Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and south, Missouri, Arkansas, you name it, be prepared. Be in a place you can listen for weather warnings. Be in a place you have several different sources of weather information. Folks, be weather alert as we get prepared to kick off spring planting in a big way. And we know we're getting ready to kick off spring planting because April 1st of every year, we see the USDA kick off their crop 
progress reports. Now, we talked with Garrett Toy earlier in the program about the impact of those reports, notably on the wheat market this morning. Crop progress came out. Winter wheat, really the only crop growing in substantial quantities across the country, and it is not growing well. 28% of the winter wheat crop in this country listed as good to excellent, providing a little juice under the wheat market to start the day here. Hard red wheat still up two and a quarter cents as Tuesday rolls on. And we're seeing some other news come out from that uh, excuse me, crop progress report as well. Corn planting already underway. 2% in the ground nationwide as of Sunday, March 2nd. That's tied with last year, and it's tied with the five-year average. No major surprise, Texas leading the way. Those growers, 57% planted with their intended corn acres. They're running just slightly ahead of that average percent of 54%. Now, we've got some news down in Argentina. It's... Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a repeat news story coming out of Argentina. The government has announced they are relaunching their soy dollar concept. If we think back to the month of September, just before harvest in this country, we saw Argentina come to the international soybean markets with an offer. They said, hey, Argentinian growers, if you're interested in selling your soybeans to the world market, we will give you a 40% pay raise when we convert those dollars back into pesos here in Argentina. It encouraged a tremendous number of sales from Argentina early in the marketing season for those growers. And then, of course, Argentina was clobbered by a devastating drought. Production well off in both corn and soy. So I'm a little surprised that the Argentinian government has come together and they've said they are going to put together this soy dollar program once again. Now this is an announcement, a, a group of government packages coming together on, uh, on President uh, Alberto Massa's plan. And uh, we're going to see. Basically what this is going to do is this is going to allow beans sold in Argentina four dollars for those growers to convert those dollars back into pesos at a rate between 270 and 300 argentinian pesos per dollar now the true exchange rate is about 200 pesos per dollar so really we're going to be giving these folks about a 30 percent pay raise when they convert those dollars back into pesos and we'll see if this could push those argentinian growers to start moving more soybeans out of the country we've got some news tougher rules potentially coming for concentrated animal feeding operations this is a slow burning lawsuit that has been pending before the epa since 2017 a group of environmental uh, groups got together and they sued the epa EPA back in 2017 uh, because they said that the EPA has not yet announced a plan to study the impact of water pollution. These environmental groups want the EPA to strengthen their regulations under the Clean Water Act, and they're suing the EPA to try and get these rules out. Now, EPA did say they were going to get these rules out by 2022. They did not. That prompted another lawsuit. Now the EPA has responded, and uh, they are pushing forward. According to a settlement filed here this past Monday, the 2022 lawsuit has been stayed. Um, but it will continue to be stayed until August 22nd, 2023. EPA has until August 15th to get those new regulations updated. So we'll be tracking this story as EPA makes progress on getting those regulations out. What will the impact of these tighter rules on water pollution be from CAFOs as this rule nears completion? 
We'll see, and we'll continue to get updates as we get closer. Now, one final quick note, going back down south of the equator all the way to Argentina, we reported here about two weeks ago that Argentina reported a bird flu, HPAI outbreak. Now, there was, it was a commercial poultry flock in Argentina that saw the HPAI outbreak, and that meant that poultry exports from Argentina were locked down. Well, here we are, three weeks after that lockdown, Argentina's grain, or excuse me, poultry exporters say they are ready to begin exports once again. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA. Catch us tomorrow. We'll be doing the monthly grind with our friend from the National Corn Growers Association, looking at where that corn goes after it leaves your farm. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great day. Stay safe with the severe weather coming later today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.